0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: And now, it's the rest stop. With Brad
0: Restituto. He comes up the pocket. Fire to the right side.
2: Three words for you. You like that? Yeah! <laughs> Welcome to the rest Stop. It's May 20 2021, Thursday. I'm Brad Restituto. Follow me on Twitter as you can see here, at Brad the Believer, Instagram as well. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Brad, the believer there also. We broadcast from Las Vegas every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. And got a good sports show for you tonight. Spencer Ostrovsky, follow him on Twitter, at SpencerTheWiz, joins me as always. NBA, guys, NBA is coming in full effect. We are towards the home stretch of the playing games. Uh, The eight-seat Wizards, they won tonight against the Indiana Pacers, uh, and they won in impressive fashion, 142 to 115, and um, quite the contrast from the game previously where they lost to the Boston Celtics. But they do advance and they'll take on the Philadelphia 76ers in round one. Um, Spence, jump on here for a second. I've got to uh, take care of this uh, <laughs> dumb cat issue. So uh, I apologize to everybody out there. Uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, geez.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess hopefully we can start here. I I'm going to guess this is where he wants to go in the beginning, is the recap of the Washington Pacers game. This is a thing about it because the unders have been hitting really hard for these playing games outside of, you know, the Pacers, uh, especially like in the Lakers game and the Grizzlies game. They were, they were hard unders because they're more like playoff games. The thing about the Pacers and the Hornets matchup is that the Pacers clearly push the pace a lot. There's no way you score 144 points in regulation without pushing the pace a whole bunch. Uh, and I don't think they should have had that same mentality going against Washington. Washington, I believe, was 7-8 and eight when they pushed the pace to, to a certain level, and they were first in the league in pace throughout the entire season. So if you're Indiana, especially without Karis LeVert and Miles Turner, you try to say, okay, we'll play the same way as we did against the Hornets as we do against Washington, you're just in a losing battle. Now, I think that's easier said than done at the end of the day because, you know, how easy is it to – change the pace of the game like that to drastically change the way you play in fact I was thinking about it I think the only player that I've ever seen who was able to physically change the the way a team plays and how fast they play was Mike Conley when he played for the Memphis Grizzlies he I don't know how he did it but he just totally understood the, the game situation so when you have a younger team like the Pacers who are all beaten up I think there's just, all right, well, this is our game plan. This is what worked against the Hornets. Hopefully it works again. And the regular season, the uh, Washington Wizards dominated them. They scored over 130 points in each of those matchups. One of them was in overtime, but going back to like one of the regular season wins, they scored again, like I think, over 140 points in regulation. And this exact same thing happened here again. They just... Can't keep up with the Washington. You don't want to play the fastest game possible. You want to slow it down as much as possible, which I don't think will bode well for Washington come against their matchup with the 76ers.
2: Spence, how how about second-year center Daniel Gafford from Arkansas? Really kind of cementing himself as going to be the premier center for this team. He has 15 points, 13 rebounds, five blocks in a steal. For the Wizards tonight, he was really, really effective at the center position, which is kind of a uh, – a carousel of guys that go from Robin Lopez to Alex Lynn, but Gafford is playing the best basketball. He was six of eight from the field. He had an, a, a good game in the game against Boston uh, in a loss, but this guy is going to be important in the rotation when they're going to have to match up against Joel Embiid in round one. And the way Gafford has been playing, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Nobody can really guard Joel Embiid one-on-one, but Gafford has certainly been a, a nice rim protector rebounder in five blocks tonight really got the job done for Washington as they pulled away starting in the second quarter, outscoring Indiana 36 to 23 and then pulling away even more in the third quarter outscoring 48 to 31 Indiana. And Sabonis uh, did have a triple double tonight, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, 19 points, eight of 15 from the field, but Washington was too much. And this is the Washington team. We expected Spence, Uh, against Boston that did not happen, but now they will have seven games to give headaches to the Philadelphia 76ers, and I think they will. I've talked about this for a couple months. I think this Wizards team is a team nobody wants to face in the playoffs, Uh, especially if Brad Beal can be a little bit healthy, knock down shots. We talked about uh, Davis Bertans needs to be a guy that can make shots. He wasn't super effective uh, tonight, but he did hit two of his six three-point attempts, they're starting to add some depth here, Spence. They've got some guys coming off the bench that are contributors. We talked about 22 minutes from Gafford at the center position with the double double, uh, in addition to five blocks. Ish Schmidt, the guy that lit it up in, in quick spurts in game in, in the game against Boston, played 22 minutes tonight. Was four seven from the field, eight points. Uh, he would have been in double digits if he would have made his two free throw attempts, but he also had four rebounds and six assists. Really important statistics there off the bench for Ish Smith. and they've got some guys. We we know they live and die by Westbrook and Beal, but Hachimura had 18 points tonight, and he was 4-4 from the free throw line. We know that the young guy, I, I believe he's from Gonzaga, Spence, Rory Hachimura. Yeah, he's from Gonzaga, second-year pro. Uh, if if he can get going, they've got some young pieces that, that, that can be uh, – of, of impact. Now, who's, who's the guy they drafted this year? His name's slipping my mind.
1: Danny uh, Advia.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he must be hurt because I don't see him in the stat sheet whatsoever. And I don't yes, yeah, he, he's
1: injured right now, right angle, uh, fracture. I think he's out-out like, for a long, long time. I think he had surgery.
2: Yeah, he may be done, so that's unfortunate. But, look, West, Westbrook and Beal are going to be the guys to straw, the stores, to drink for this team. And if they can get contributions from guys like Achimura, from Bertans – and like this guy mentioned, the second-year center from Arkansas, Daniel Gafford, who was super impressive tonight. They're going to need everything he can give them against Philadelphia. Uh, Spence, I, I think they can push Philly to seven games. I know most people don't. I think statistically it's like a 90% chance that Philadelphia wins a series. Uh, am I just wishful thinking here with the Wizards, or do you believe also that they have a chance to push Philadelphia to the limit?
1: this is the key to the game because you can look at the playing games as the perfect example of what it means when the wizards are good and when they're bad and that starts and ends with russell westbrook it was really i I thought about this before the show how bradley beal has never been never had the wizards team like been the leader i guess you could say everyone views russell westbrook this season in his first year as being the guy for the team not in terms of playing necessarily but When you look back to John Wall and Bradley Beal, it was John Wall's team. And now it's Westbrook's team. I don't know why Bradley Beal never gets that. It may just not be his style. He may not be a good leader. But to go back to, you know, looking forward to the series here, you go against the Celtics game, they played a very half-court set type of uh, game. And I think Westbrook is horrible in the half-court. I think he's shooting like 20-something percent from downtown and – you know His other points come from the post, and sometimes he gets his own off of re- offensive rebounds off of misses in the post. For whatever reason, when the game slows down, it, he feels like it's his time to shine. They scored 142 points tonight, and he had only shot 13 times. He, on paper, it's easy to say, just don't shoot that much and your team is better, but that's yeah. just not <laughs> the way he is. I mean you could probably you could probably hopefully go back into a time machine or something and tell him like listen just don't shoot that much and your team is going to be significantly better cuz you go back to the game against the Celtics he shot like 21 times and obviously he was very ineffective at that point. I don't know if you can coach him that way that's just not the way he operates. He kind of has that set track mind and think about it this way. I mean obviously the 76ers like to get out in transition. Ben Simmons is one of the more tran- dangerous transition players in the NBA but At the end of the day, when it comes down to the late game situations or down the stretch of the fourth quarter, they're going to want to slow it down. They're going to get the ball to Joel Embiid. And yes, I think Gafford has been playing some good minutes, but realistically speaking, Joel Embiid is going to be averaging 30 plus points every single game in this series, Uh, you know. Robin Lopez is all fine and dandy, but at the same time, we're talking about the guy who's been the most dominant player in the NBA this season. He's not going to win MVP, but he has been the most physically dominant and probably just overall. He played more games. He would have won MVP, in my opinion. Uh, So it doesn't look great because also you have Tobias Harris and they don't really have anyone to match up there. That also means Bradley Beal and Westbrook will have heydays. Maybe not so much Westbrook for the reasons I just listed, but Bradley Beal, of course, will have a good one. Uh, You got to wonder, is his injury all the way there? It sure seemed like it tonight. I mean, he had a very good game, scoring 25 points on 9 of 17 shooting. But I think that Joel Embiid will be able to dominate significantly more than Bradley Beal will. Also, I just think the 76ers are much hungry. I think the Wizards are happy to be where they are, and they'll just say, "Oh, look, well, we kind of made it happen at the end of the season. We'll take the momentum going next year. That's kind of how I feel like their mentalities are, especially for some of the younger guys on the Washington Wizards. And then you go over to the 76ers, who a lot of those guys now have legitimate playoff experience they just can't afford to go out in the first round. Uh, doesn't mean that it's not it can't happen, but that's just kind of how I see the series shaping up. I'll say it goes to six games. I don't see it going to a game seven. I just think the 76ers from top to bottom are a significantly better team.
2: Spence, I do think the Eastern Conference is going to be more competitive than people think. I really think the Knicks are going to give people trouble. I do think they'll advance in the first round. They're a slight underdog, plus 105. Um, I'm not sure if we can get the, the series price numbers. I know I saw them on Twitter earlier, but I know that a slight underdog of the Knicks against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I, I think Brooklyn should be able to handle Boston fairly easily. I, I, I do think Philly, Philly is hungrier, Spence. I agree with you, but I am not sold even a little bit on Tobias Harris. Not at all. And I think he's going to be a non-factor in these playoffs. And we'll see if I'm wrong. But I, I just think the guy – I don't think he's good in big moments – And he's too inconsistent shooting from the free throw line for me in big spots. And I think if this comes down to to some close games, I'm going to be interested to see who goes to the line, who has opportunities uh, to really put their team ahead. And I I love Bradley Beal in clutch situations. I think he's money from the free throw line. I think he's hit big shot after big shot down the stretch. I know the Wizards barely got into the playoffs as an eight seed, but I'm really curious to see if, Philadelphia can't pull away, and these games are close down the stretch. Who's going to be the guy for either side that's going to help put the team over the hump? And it's going to be interesting to watch. Like the Wizards tonight, if they play like they did tonight, up and down the floor, score 140 points, I don't care who they're playing, it's going to be a close game. I don't think that the the Wizards are going to get outscored 165 to 145. So if they can continue to to show like they did tonight tonight, I think we're in store for a good series. I really think a lot of the series, top to bottom in the Eastern Conference, are going to be good, even in the West, Spence. I think we're in store for a really, really good playoffs. Um, if, if anything, uh, we'll talk about the game last night. The, the Lakers, they they hung on. One, I think it was 103-100, Spence, was the score last night uh, for the Lakers. and In my opinion, must-see TV. It was great up and down. The Warriors had a 13-point lead. At the end of the first half, Steph Curry had 37 points, made some really, really big three-point shots. But the Lakers came alive in the third quarter, outscoring Golden State 35-24, and then outscoring them 26-21 in the fourth. And, of course, LeBron's big shot, Spence, really shouldn't even have probably got the shot. I mean, I think it was KCP who was kind of stuck in the paint looking for an outlet. As you can hear the guys watching the telecast, uh, the guys from the bench yelling out the shot clock, three, two, and it looked like, it was going to be a shot clock violation. It seemed like last second, he just heaved it out to LeBron. LeBron fired it up and hit all bottom. It was, uh, I mean, you call it what I you will. Have wrote.
1: that shot if you want to show it real quick. Yeah, let's
2: see it, Spence. Last night.
0: And you know, I put in a lot of work on my game. You know, um, you know, after, you know, draped my uh, finger to the eye, I was literally seeing three uh, three rims out there. Um, so I just shot at the middle one. And uh, and I was able to, uh, to the grace of the man above, I was able to knock it down.
2: Spence, go. Let's show that one more time. I uh, See if we can. You know, I put in a lot of work on my game.
0: You know, um, you know, after you know, draping my uh, finger to the eye, I was literally seeing three uh, three rims out there. Um, so I just shot at the middle one, and uh, and I was able to uh, to the grace of the man above. I was able to knock it down.
2: Spence, uh, I, I thought the the refs. God, it was. I, I thought Golden State gave the game away. There was a illegal screen call on Draymond. Right around that time, where LeBron hit the shot, which was a bogus call, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I feel. Did you feel like they got the call right with Draymond not giving him a, a flagrant foul there? LeBron went one to two from the line, um, tied the game up. Man, it was a really great back and forth game. I, I certainly thought uh, the Warriors had control, lost control, and then really gave the game away. Um, Anthony Davis was not effective in the first half, and having the stats that the Lakers had, that the Warriors they should have won that game.
1: Yeah, the first thing I'll say about that shot is the general consensus, and Stephen A. Smith said this after he was like on the ESPN immediately and said that it was a lucky shot. Make no mistake, it was a lucky shot. He said something along those lines. I don't necessarily agree with that. Look, that's a tough shot. I mean, very few guys can make that. But at the same time, we've seen Steph make shots like that, James Harden, Kevin Durant. They they all do that. I mean sure it's again that's what separates them as superstars from the rest of the league it's not an impossible shot I mean it wasn't like he was you know shoveling it from his chest or something like that I mean look he he got it and he used his shooting motion like that's how he shoots every basketball and uh it went in it was a, it was a great shot so is that that's probably not the ideal look that they wanted to get but it, You know, I think the Warriors, at the end of the day, did give it away. Steph Curry just got a little too loose with the ball there, especially in the third quarter when you kind of saw that momentum change. Now, they made it close again in the fourth quarter when he came back in. And not to say that Steph didn't play a brilliant game, but he's doing a lot right now. He has a lot of responsibilities, and I think he also – Loves the show part of the basketball game. He likes to have fun with it. And I think that has actually hurt him in certain points throughout his career. There was a game in the finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers during their blown 3-1 lead where he tried to do a behind-the-back pass to Clay Thompson, and it went out of bounds during kind of a pivotal time. So that's kind of always in the back of his mind, that Alex Caruso turnover as well uh, in the fourth quarter when he was kind of dribbling behind his back, and that kind of went out of bounds. So we ha- we see those kinds of moments, and I'm not sure Steph will ever change in that respect at all. That's just the way he plays the game. And you have to accept that. Andrew Wiggins played amazing defensively. So did Draymond on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So there's a few ways to look at this game, right? And R.J. Bell did a great job on straight out of Vegas talking about this today. And that there's three main factors. Is it this should be a good win for the Lakers because they played so bad in the first half and they still came out with the win? Uh, is it you know B where th- this is not a good showing and is this like indicative of future performance where they're just going to kind of be sluggish here, or is it just kind of indeterminate where the Lakers, you know, didn't play well, they just didn't so happen, didn't happen to shoot well and the Warriors were just playing really good in the first half. I'm not exactly sure where I fall on the line of that. I-, I would tend to say that it's probably a good sign that they're still figuring out to a certain extent. I know Dennis Schroeder, you know, just came back. He didn't have COVID, but he was in the health and safety protocols at the end of the season. He played awful during that entire game. I wouldn't say he's going to do that forever. And, uh, you know, LeBron James had that pretty nasty fall. I thought his ankle was cooked, like, really badly. He's been out for a long time with that. And When Draymond poked his eye, it looked like the way he came down, I was like, whoa, this is really bad. That was a really bizarre play, by the way. I know you mentioned that for a second. It looked like his hands were a little more forward than straight up, so I thought they were going to call the flagrant foul, Uh, They ended up calling it a hard foul, but we are in the playoffs. Uh, It's interesting. Sports reference has no idea what to do with these statistics, by the way. Tatum and LeBron's uh, triple-double, or I should say Tatum's 50-point performance and LeBron's triple-double. Like basically is in the ether right now. They don't know whether it's a part of the regular season or postseason, but that's a story for another time. Uh, you know, the Lakers, look, they wanted the seventh seed. I think more than anything. I think they're very happy to be where they are. Not to say that they couldn't have beaten either the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns, but when you look at it, you're gonna I think you're just gonna have more of a headache, especially for them, uh, when it comes to if they were to have to play the Utah Jazz, because they would cream the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies just aren't ready for that kind of spot or they're not talented enough and I'm sure we'll talk about Memphis in just a bit. Uh, I know I've been long winded. I don't mean to be, but uh, no. yeah, uh, when it comes to the Phoenix suns, I mean, yes, they had a great regular season and Chris Paul has been spe- been spectacular. He's probably top three in MVP voting, or at least he deserves to be. Uh, but at the same time, you go down that list. These guys have, this is their first time in the playoffs and LeBron, Anthony Davis, and most of their crew. If the only new faces, like you say, is like Montres Harrell and Dennis Schroeder, and they're both talented. Dennis, you know, They play playoff games, so they should be ready. Other than that, the rest of the team is being carried by people who just won the championship not that long ago. So when you kind of pair that together, I think it makes sense, and it's crazy to me that it started out. I think the Lakers, somewhere minus 300, or that's what they showed on ESPN. It's almost even money now. It's like, do people hate the Lakers, or do people love Phoenix that much? I'm not sure.
2: Yes, Ben. So I'm with where the money's going. I think, I think the Lakers are done. They are done for, I don't think they're good enough to win a playoff series in the Western conference, especially against the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if this is the Suns time to go to the finals, but they're certainly going to get past the Lakers. In my opinion, I think Chris Paul's leadership mixed with the youth of Devin Booker and some of the other young guys, Aiden, uh, and the guys that can score on the squad isn't, isn't, uh, Who's the who, is is one of the bridges on this team? Who, who's one? Of their uh, yeah, other...
1: M- Mikhail Bridges is on the Phoenix Suns.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think the Suns are going to wipe clean the uh, the Lakers. I, I think they win in five or six games, and I just don't think the Lakers are fully back healthy with Davis and LeBron, and I don't think they're good enough all around. They're not getting the type of contribution that they need. They were lucky to win that game last night. I don't think they get past Phoenix. I think Phoenix holds home court. Uh, I think game one is going to be really important for Phoenix, and I think they'll get off to a strong start. And, and, but, what were your thoughts on LeBron's hysterics, man? With the I thing, he had to tell everybody every second. Spence, I know you like to listen to uh, – I, I know you've been really busy lately, but I know you're a fan, as I am, of NBA t- uh, NBA, NBA radio on uh, Sirius XM and, and a big argument today. I don't know if I would go this far, whether LeBron's clutch or not and his hysterics – I think definitely LeBron's clutch. I don't know if that's much of an argument. Maybe You can debate like uh, Termini did today on, uh, on the NBA show that in the first seven years of his career, he wasn't clutch. I don't really care about that debate too much. The point is LeBron's been uh, the best player in the league for well over a decade, if not longer, and arguably one of the best players in history. To me, like all this nonsense off the court – since last year and him not being on the floor so more of his kind of persona has been off the court this year because that's really where he's been seen and heard from since the presidential election is more off the court I'm just kind of over this year with the Lakers Spence and I think that the team that's really been talked about more in a basketball since the Phoenix Suns are gonna are gonna dispose of them. We'll see if that's the case. I, I just don't know that LeBron has this switch this year. Not because he's not capable of it, but I just don't know that mentally he's LeBron James that we've seen in years past. They've won a title. Anthony Davis isn't that guy. They're gonna need huge contributions from Kuzma, Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, Andre Drummond was not that great last night. They're going to need these guys to play at a much higher level to get past Phoenix, in my opinion. And I don't think they have it this year. I think they're going to be one and done. They're lucky to not be the eighth seed. And what, is it, what does this mean for the Golden State Warriors? They definitely needed more. Draymond was great defensively, Spence, but two points offensively, 05 from the field. That's just, he's got to hit open shots, Spence, at least someone. Oh, yeah. He's had wide open threes and he just cannot buy one, Spence. And he's, he's not, he doesn't have terrible form. But, man, he gets uncontested shots, and they just do not fall from the outside. And if Golden State wants to get past Memphis, uh, I I think they're going to be in trouble against Memphis, Spence, because it's really kind of an emotional loss. They had the game in hand against the Lakers to come right back and expect a big performance out of the guys that they got last night. And would you call anything besides Steph's a big performance when you only score 100 points? I thought uh, Jordan Poole played well. Uh, but he only finished with 10 points. I don't know why Eric Pascal is a DNP, Uh, Jordan Bell DNP. I don't know what's going on injury wise, but I do like having Toscano Anderson and Mike Mulder in the mix. Uh, you, You know, I don't think very highly of Kelly Oubre, which he's hurt. So he won't be playing are hurting that team. Wiggins had 21 points. You mentioned he played pretty solid, uh, but he he misses a lot of clutch free throws. He only had one, but he missed it. Steph missed a free throw. Those free throws would have been important coming down the stretch. I mean, I mean, I know you can't expect everybody to be perfect, but Steph, who's usually 94% from the line, you don't expect him to miss at all in the playoffs. And I think he's got one of the historic runs in the playoffs from the free throw line. It, it's so huge, a team like Golden State, to be uh, almost flawless from the free throw line being at this stage in the season. So um, let's go ahead and talk about the the other game spent in the game that we'll be lining up, Golden State-Memphis. Memphis did get the win against San Antonio, I believe it was 106-100. Uh, they were really propelled by a 38-19 first quarter, and they really held on for the most part uh, to the end. What a, what a stat for uh, Valanchunas, Jonas Valanchunas, 23 points, 23 rebounds. What a performance. Uh, And the Grizzlies have a chance to get the eighth seed by taking on the Warriors tomorrow night.
1: Yeah, they do. And it was a very up and down game. I mean, they get off about as hot of a start as you can. Dylan Brooks has been on a stretch defensively that I haven't seen since Tony Allen for the Grizzlies. Towards the end of the season, his defensive assignments include Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, and then down Demar Derozan. who shot five of twenty-one yesterday. He puts that much effort, and then he kind of takes it over to the offensive end, and you wish he wouldn't. Although I should I say that, and yet he had eight huge buckets there, eight huge points, I should say, uh, to basically get them back in the game after they lost the lead. It was the uh, it was at some point in the fourth quarter, the Spurs took their first lead since like the two nothing, like the very beginning of the game. Uh, it's the, the problem is, and this is a huge problem. Jonas seems ready, Dylan seems ready, but good lord, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant are not on this. For whatever reason, John Morant has seemed to think that the responsibility of the team is on him, when in reality, it certainly is not. Uh, he's shooting over 20 times, it's, it's uncharacteristic of him. I mean, I, I don't even know how many times he shot over 20 field goal attempts in the regular season period. He's normally in the 14 to 16 range and sometimes even less than that. But I think that's good for the team. This is like the way you look at him is he's pretty darn good defensively. I think pretty underrated as a defender. Uh, He's obviously extremely athletic, great in the open court, uh, an elite passer. I mean, for his age, the passes that he made, he had a great pass to the corner three for Kyle Anderson uh, towards the end of the game that essentially not sealed the game for them, but almost put it out of reach. It was one of the biggest baskets of the game. So we know he can be effective, and it's almost as if he needs to take the Russell Westbrook route or correct himself before he goes down that path where they don't need him to be a volume shooter because he's just not great scoring offensively. He may develop into that, and I would say if you do have one weakness – Scoring's probably one of the least of your worries because you can learn to shoot and he is getting there like from three point range. But when he drives to the lane, I mean, you either got to learn to take fouls better, like you'll know, work out with Trey young for a summer. I don't know what the case may be, but hopefully he settles down. He was horrible in that, you know, for the eighth seed game against the Lakers, he was just absolute garbage. Uh Seven for 20 something in that game. I think it was 22. Uh, but you know, I mean, anything can happen. The, the realistic situation is that the Lakers probably won that game because they had so much size. Jonas Valentunas just did something that nobody in Memphis history, rather in either in the regular season or postseason, to have 20-20 and 20 by the end of the third quarter has ever done. The only other person to do it this season was DeMontis Sabonis, I think against the Phoenix Suns, if I'm not mistaken. He had a 20-20 game through three quarters. But th- this is the way that I look at it. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to put on my tin hat, but Look, the NBA does not want the Memphis Grizzlies to make the A.C. They want Steph Curry there, and they're also at home, so that's also part of it. They may end up putting referees, and again, R.J. Bell kind of brought this up during his show today that they may put referees in this game because they kind of like pick and choose as they go along. It's not set crews; they that it may allow more physicality physicality down below. We know the Grizzlies depend on the paint; that's really their identity. They don't shoot too many threes, or you know, you try to get the ball at the Desmond Bain and Grayson Allen, and so on and so forth. But they run the offense through, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, who when he gets double team passes it out and they pass the ball along or the pick and roll where he picks and pops. I just don't see it happening. I mean, Steph is going to have another big game, most likely. I know Dylan Brooks plays him pretty well. I just don't think, again, to go back to my original point, that John Morant and Jaron Jackson, who I don't think Jaron Jackson scored after the first half. I think he had zero points, as the rest going on. And he's coming back from injury. Those are the guys that they need to be the best during this time, and they're not doing that. They're just – You know, making up for him on team-wise, the Dylan Brooks, the Jonas Valanciunas, the Tyus Jones, the Desmond Baines, if you can believe that as a rookie, are kind of picking up the pieces for them. They'll have their time. It's just not now. I I will be rooting for them, though, by the way. I am from Memphis, Tennessee. Of course I want them to win.
2: Spence, do you buy in at all that this could be a draining loss for Golden State? Had the game in hand. And then LeBron James, who's seeing three baskets to hit the go-ahead three. Um with under a minute left, I mean, does this kind of make Golden State maybe lose a step, lose a step of fire coming into play? Uh, Memphis for a playoff spot, a team that they kind of scratched and clawed to beat to even get into the seven eight game?
1: Yeah, I mean, a draining loss to me is a last second shot. You know, LeBron hit that with like fifty seven seconds left. I know it seems like such a short margin, but at the same time to lose it, that literally the last second is pretty hard to swallow when you lose because you just don't make shots at the end of the game. And it's not like they had a 20 point lead. They had a sizable lead at halftime, but again, there's two halves of basketball. So for the most part, it was close in the fourth quarter. It felt like a playoff game. And I think, you know, Steph and Draymond certainly have been through that situation before where they lose a close game. I think they're more hungry than they are kind of, oh, shoot. You know, we should have had that game they'll rebound. I mean, they have some decent leaders there. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not really buying that storyline.
2: Uh, can they, can Golden State win if, if Steph does not go off for 30 plus and Draymond again only scores one basket or no baskets? I mean, I, I don't think Golden State can win if Curry doesn't go for more than 30 and Draymond doesn't at least score 10 points. I think if if, if Curry's stat line is 30 points and Draymond is five points, I think that Golden State loses the game.
1: Yeah, I always joke and say that uh, Draymond Green looks like he's shooting with a backpack on. Uh, Look, the the reality situation, he's gotten progressively worse over the last five seasons. He shot 38% in, I believe, 2015, 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And since then, every single year, his shooting percentage has gotten lower. I don't think he cares about his craft that much. I think he's just – he knows he's a great defender. He knows he's a great passer. And those kinds of things – ever leave you as a basketball player like once you're a great passer you just kind of understand the flow of the game from a fundamental sense but shooting certainly that's something you have to work on all the time if I were to go into the gym and try to shoot now I mean I would be terrible but once I get into the gym a lot more I think I'm a pretty decent shooter and I think just because I'm not a professional player I think those kinds of principles apply and clearly he's just not doing that they lead him they leave him legitimately wide open when he shot 40 percent that was during the time you know during their heyday where you you had to leave him open and then you try to contest if you can, you know, after taking out of the double team from Clay and Steph. I, I don't know why that's been the case, but he, he's kind of a joke to me. I, I don't know. He's just so uppity and uppity and he has nothing to show for it much anymore. It's very disappointing to see his career path without a doubt. I think he could have been a Hall of Famer and it's certainly projecting way away from that now.
2: Spence, before we move on from basketball, real quick, I want to go back to the Lakers last night. And I want to talk about the job Alex Caruso did on Steph Curry and his defensive effort as a whole. I thought he was fantastic, really, on both ends of the court for the Lakers. And, man, I, I did not – I don't know if any Lakers fan has expected this guy to continue to elevate his game as the years go by, becoming a really valuable piece for this Lakers team. And he may be a, a really, really important factor, uh, guarding Chris Paul, possibly, possibly Devin Booker, to see – um, how the Lakers do in the next round. Caruso was huge last night.
1: No, he was, and he's just kind of one of those glue guys. You wish he was a little better offensively. I think there was one play in particular that I remember off the top of my head where he shot a corner three and it was kind of open. It went off the backboard. But he has his moments, I think, more particular when he's driving to the lane uh, because people just don't think of him that sense. When he puts his head down, he's much more effective. And that's the goal, when you have someone so great defensively. And that was the problem until, I think, the last two years of Tony Allen in Memphis, during the, like their time of going to the conference finals, where he found a way to at least make the team respectable. So Caruso is certainly trending that way, and he's also a young man. I think he's 26 or 28 years old, somewhere in that range. And it's, it sounds so weird to say, but he's probably... I don't know, the fourth or fifth most important player on that team after Dennis Schroeder. You can make an argument he's more important than Andre Drummond uh, because he just – Drummond hasn't been playing that well. And Caruso also started in the game-clinching uh, you know, performance in the finals against the Miami Heat. He'll have to play like that in every series against – Let's just say, for example, Devin Booker. I'm assuming that will be his primary defensive target. So he's able to play pretty well like that. I think you can accept whatever Chris Paul gives to you because Dennis Shooter is an okay defender as well.
2: That's Spencer the Wiz. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto at Brad the Believer. The rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. Spence, let's transition over to the NHL playoffs and, of course, the Golden Knights here locally. Uh, They were in Minnesota tonight in Game 3 to take on the Wild. Uh, the Golden Knights fell behind two to nothing in the first period. They had a three-goal second period, and then finished off with two goals in the third, and they beat the Wild five to two. Uh, Mark Stone had two goals for VGK, and they take a two to one series lead. A really important win, Game Three on the road for VGK. Spence, Uh, I thought if they went down two to one here, it it would have been a really interesting series. As I was looking at prices for the Wild to win in six at plus six fifty and then to win in seven at plus 600. Uh, Really thinking about that there, and I would have felt really good had I put some money on it if Minnesota would have took a 2-1 series lead, but VGK gets past their struggling first period, and they end up winning the game 5-2.
1: Yeah, and this is another thing I've been thinking about recently, and as you go through the lineage of the years, the first season you can throw away, right? That's just something that we'll probably never see again in any expansion team to be able to do that. I I still don't know how it happened. Once you get past season one, then you just have a hockey team. You can't just be, oh, the new team on block all the time. There's data on you, and people kind of figure you out. And the way they carry themselves, especially in that Stanley Cup when they lost to Washington, Washington was just, hey, we're maybe not as good from pot to bottom, but we're going to carry ourselves like, our, like we are. And I think that's what Vegas has kind of done in the beginning in game one as well, where they're just, ooh, let's just try to match up with them and do our best. No, like they are overpowering. They have three lines, two lines, you could say, that are just their second line could would probably be a starting line on a lot of teams. And until they kind of recognize that and push forward, which I think they did as a turning point, they were just more aggressive in the second period. I wasn't able to watch the full game as I was driving home. But once they got that first goal, it's like make an avalanche on top of them realize who you have on the ice. I mean, it could just be a confidence thing. And when Mark Stone scores, which I think he was the first to score in this game to kind of lead it, they need him to be. He's the captain. They've been without a captain, and that was probably a cardinal sin that lost them the Stanley Cup Finals because you, realistically in any team to go to the highest level, you need one person. It's It cannot be a full team. That could be something even the Utah Jazz struggle with because I don't think they have a guy that they can go to yeah, like emotionally when they need him the most. So when you see your captain leading the charge and leading the way, I think you just give the cup, co- the confidence to everyone else. I don't know what it's like in their locker room, but hopefully this is the turning point for them because I predicted the Golden Knights would get past the series of good Minnesota wild team, by the way. And the only reason they're playing them is because of the way the divisions are set up. Normally this would be maybe a conference finals or at least quarter finals matchups that you would see given how talented Minnesota is. But that's fine. I mean, that's just the way the NHL works this way. I think they'll get past this series. But they want to win a Stanley Cup. And for them to do that, it's going to start and stop with Mark Stone. And then everyone else will follow suit, I promise. And hopefully that's what you know happened tonight. And hopefully they carry themselves like that moving forward, not only in the series, but all the way through the playoffs.
2: Spent some other scores from the NHL playoffs, the Florida Panthers. They pull within one game of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the series is now Tampa Bay leading two to one. The Panthers won six to five tonight in overtime. Ryan Lomberg scores the game winner in overtime for the Florida Panthers. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they edged the New York Islanders five to four tonight. Pittsburgh still leads the series two games to one. The first game of this Canadian series between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs saw the Canadiens winning two to one. Is that right, Spence? Is that only game one? I feel like I guess so. Yeah.
1: It looks like Edmonton and Winnipeg also only have one game under their belt. Well,
2: the Canadians, they go up two to one. And we talked about the Golden Knights winning five to two against the Minnesota wild. So we'll see how the rest of that series shapes up. Of course, here in VGK, this is probably the most here in Vegas, the most important series because the Knights have had such a tough time with the Minnesota wild uh, through the entirety of of the franchise, the team that's really given them a lot of trouble. So to go up two to one and getting one on the road tonight was really important for the Knights. Spence uh, let's transition over to the NFL. And a few weeks ago, the NFL schedules came out and of course, talking about all the primetime games and how teams match up. The Westgate Resort has put out all of the, the, the betting lines uh, for the games in uh, for each team this season. So I want to talk about our local hometown Raiders and, of course, your favorite team, Spence. And I'd like to get into um, uh, some of the games here, and I'd like to get into the games with the spread. If I can find my sheet that I saw that was posted here uh, from the Westgate, it's got every game with all of the totals – on it, um, the Westgate Superbook has posted that here in Vegas. I think a handful of the casinos have, have posted um, a lot a lot of the games and, and totals. Um, so, Spence, off the top of your head, let's, well, let's go to game one for the Raiders, okay? And I believe it's a primetime game against, on Monday night, at home, Allegiant Stadium here in Las Vegas, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Monday night, September 13th, Uh, I know this is a tough one for you, Spence, but um, talk about the Raiders' first game of the season, opening up Allegiant Stadium. We're going to have fans ready to roll. Uh, How do you think that the Ravens and the Raiders match up at Allegiant Stadium week one?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the reality of the situation, and I know I sound like a harsh fan, is the Raiders got worse this offseason. I'm not sure anybody will debate that with you. They lose Nelson Aguilar. They lose most of their offensive line. So you have two minuses there. And the only plus for the Raiders last year was their offense and how prolific they were. You signed like Willie Sneed and John Brown, but I'd rather have Nelson Aguilar than those two combined. And certainly it's not like you can really combine production. That's such a simple way of looking at it. It's not like baseball. It's not money ball. It doesn't exist in football. every play matters on like an individual talent level. So, and then they just, you know, get a star backup running back. I, I don't really see the vision here. Uh, the Ravens are certainly going to be looking to at least win their division. I don't know if they'll be contending for a title necessarily. But when you look at that and then you transition over to the defense, which we know is horrid, again, they will be one of the worst defenses in the league next year. They may have marginally gotten better. You know, you get uh, in Dockway, you get Trevon Morig, which, you know, is a decent acquisition. Carl Joseph, of course, is a former Raider spent one year at the Cleveland Browns, and then now he's back in you know black and silver. But they're not going to be able to stop Lamar Jackson. I know it's in a legion, and it'll be exciting, but there's a reason the Raiders have a seven-win projection, which I think is lower than last year, and there's an extra game on top of it. This team is not going to be winning football games. We want them to, and you may hear on the radio people project them to. For some reason, they had projections that make the playoffs last year, which was never going to happen. So if we're saying – if I knew the Raiders weren't going to make the playoffs last year, I certainly am not going to tell you they're going to make it this year with how bad their team is looking on paper. Maybe they can make some miracle happen, and maybe all of the players who have been horrible for the Raiders will suddenly be good. But you just rarely see those kinds of things in football, honestly. So I think at least specifically – the the way their schedule is shaping up in the first three weeks, and more specifically against the Ravens, they're going to get demolished on national TV in their brand-new stadium in front of thousands and thousands of fans.
2: So, Spence, I got the Westgate lines in front of me opening up Week 1 Monday night at Allegiant Stadium. The Baltimore Ravens are a four-point favorite on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders. So you're taking the Ravens minus the four.
1: I would easily. I think they probably win this game like 36-28. to 28.
2: 36 yeah,
1: let's go Thirty-six to, is a hard number to hit, but you know what I mean.
2: Let's go to week two, Spence. The Raiders travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The Steelers will be a five and a half point favorite there. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of Pittsburgh. I think the Raiders get back on track and I think they get a road victory in week two against Pittsburgh. I just think Ben Roethlisberger is going to show his age this year. They're really going to need Najee Harris at the running back position to give them some relief. Um, I, I think the Raiders bounce back. They don't get in a hole 0-2, and they go on the road. They, uh, they were pretty decent on the road last year, and they beat Pittsburgh at Heinz Field as a 5.5-point underdog.
1: Yeah, and this highlights one of the worst parts about the Raiders' schedule. They always seem to be awful. The Raiders never have a long homestand. It's home, away, home, away, home, away. And this is the start of that, right? They go to Pittsburgh. Look. Last year, all you had to do to beat the Raiders, and I don't know why everybody didn't just follow this blueprint, you double-team Darren Waller and Derek Carr suddenly forgets how to play football. And part of that was because they didn't have a great weapon to throw opposite to. Henry Ruggs is supposed to be a wide receiver one this year, and that's not happening. So I think the Steelers are so talented defensively. They did lose Bud Dupree, so I, I, we'll have to see like what kind of effect that has. I wouldn't imagine they start to the crumble and fall apart. But if they're able to just cover Darren Waller and now he has nobody else to throw to on the field realistically on a consistent basis, unless they trade for Julio Jones, let's say, uh, this is another loss for me. I I don't see them winning this game. I just think that they're not built to uh, win these grind-out games where they play against good defenses because they just physically can. I think Ben Ben Roethlisberger... If you don't want to face him, at, le- at the very least, it's in the beginning of the season when he'll be his healthiest. He'll be able to throw up and down this field. The Raiders have nobody to cover their wide receivers. I say they go down 0-2 to start the season.
2: All right, Spence has the R- Las Vegas Raiders 0-2. I have them 1-1 and heading back home to Allegiant Stadium to take on the Miami Dolphins. This game's a pick em. I'm going to go with the Raiders again to start off 2-1. and I think they were shocked in Allegiant Stadium last year. I believe Miami did come to Allegiant Stadium last year. If Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, they did. And they gave away the game. Uh, I think they don't give it away this year, and they beat the Dolphins and they uh, rattled Tua enough to get the victory and go to 2 and 1.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I saying all these things in the beginning because those are playoff teams. Well, the Raiders aren't going to go 0 16 this year. That's, you know, I'm not going to go that far. That'd be pretty crazy if I said that. But yeah, I think they'll get on track. I think they're going to be down in a hole. Playing desperate is worth a whole, whole lot in the NFL. They're going to be so, you know, like they have to keep their season alive essentially. Uh, they can't go down 0 3. They're at home. Everyone's going to be really anxious. And I, I'm not, a, we'll have to see how Tua plays, but clearly they dominated them in their last matchup. They feel pretty comfortable with where they're at. I think, you know, they can take advantage and, you know, they'll get their first win inside Allegiant Stadium in front of fans and they'll be one and two uh, so far through three weeks for me.
2: Spence, week four. The Raiders will be in a divisional matchup. They'll travel to SoFi Stadium to take on the Chargers. I think the Chargers will get the best of them here, but I, I do like the later Raiders inside the number. The divisional matchup, Spence, you know they're always dog close, um, especially these two teams. They play within a field goal so frequently. Uh, I think the Chargers get the win, but I'll, I'll take the Raiders plus the four
1: yeah, that's definitely not a bad bet at all. They you know clearly have played them pretty closely about an overtime game and then, you know, the crazy catch at the end of that first one. The Raiders will lose again. I think they'll end up splitting the season series. They'll probably just have the home advantage home is worth a whole lot this season because there are fans inside stadiums now, or there yeah. will be. I'm going to assume that all of them will be full capacity by the time, you know, the season rolls around with the mass mandates being dropped and everything. So uh, for me, the Raiders go one and three to start the season, but hopefully there's a little bit of break there. And it looks like there is as I'm looking down the schedule.
2: Spence, in the week five, Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears come to town. The Raiders will be sitting, at least as of right now, as a three and a half point home favorite. I think the Raiders home uh hold home field they beat the Bears here I don't know if they cover the number uh I will say that three and a half I'll take the Bears just on principle of the number but I think the Raiders get the win and they move to three and two on the year
1: I'm I'm not deathly afraid of the Bears especially if Justin Fields in the spot and even better if Nick Foles is there because well (laughs) I say that and yet Nick Foles I believe tied an NFL record for uh, touchdown passes when he was with the Eagles and he played against the Raiders a few years ago, but it's been a long time since then. It's a different Raiders team. I, I think again, the Raiders will have to win this game. According to me, they will be one and three and playing at home. It's always a big advantage. There's going to be 70,000 people there, whatever the number is. I don't know if that was a big exaggeration, but they'll probably go two and three here for me uh, looking to, you know, hopefully get back on track against the Broncos the week after.
2: Yeah, Spence. uh The next week, week six, they'll travel to Mile High to take on the Denver Broncos. Again, another divisional matchup. The uh, Broncos will be a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think this is another one where the Raiders will split the series. I think they drop this one at Mile High, and then they'll get the one back later in the year, week 16, at home. But I think they drop this one on the road to Denver.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to disagree with you, and it sounds pretty uh, scary when I think the Raiders will win. But they'll be two and three, according to me. Uh, they just can't afford to lose. I think they're going to really actually try to make a playoff push early in the season. They always have, you know, play better in, in the beginning. And then it goes really bad for them later after this nice start, they need to be three and three at this point, And the Broncos just aren't that great. I mean, they made some really nice additions, but I think the Raiders will start to find their groove offensively. You know, maybe they'll try to, have a better connection with Willie Snead and John Brown and Kenyon Drake. I think this is one of those games where they'll really figure it out. They may even blow them out in Denver. That'll get the city buzzing. I can just kind of see this, the storylines and the headlines going now. So I say you'll have a three and three Raiders after week six.
2: So Spence, we're, we're on the same page as the Raiders record. We're differing on some games. I think the game before the bye week at Allegiant stadium, the Eagles come to town Raiders three and a half point favorite. I think the Raiders get a win before the bye here and they take care of the Eagles.
1: Yeah, I, the Eagles most likely would be a dumpster fire. If they're flip-flopping quarterbacks, and this would be a prime week where they just don't know, or be, they'll probably say this is Jalen Hurts' last week to show himself before they go to whoever they have on their roster at that point. That's actually a really short line and surprising to me. The Raiders, this will probably be one of those feel-good games where they're finally climbing out of this 1-3 hole that I had them in, going on to 4-3 and three before the bye week, where you know they try to hopefully gain enough momentum to carry them through the rest of the season.
2: Spence coming out of the bye week nine against the New York Giants, traveling East Coast. We know this could be tricky in those early start games. The Giants, they're looking to be better this year. They've got some young talent. The Raiders certainly currently will sit as a one-and-a-half point road favorite. Spence, you start off with this one because I think this one could be a little tricky for the Raiders.
1: This on paper looks like a game the Raiders should win, right? For me, they're coming off a four and three. they are They're feeling decent after the bye week. But that's been the story of the John Gruden Raiders in his entire tenure there, where it looks like they're primed to take the positioning, or they shouldn't lose the game, and maybe look to have good playoff positioning. Maybe not even, uh, you know, compete for a wild card spot. Maybe they're trying to take the division. But that's it. That's disappointing. That's been the whole Raiders moniker for a very long time now. It look it's too good to be true. I think the Raiders lose this one and they go forward. They are four and four at this point.
2: Spence, I agree with you. I think if the Giants are healthy with Saquon Barkley, some of the young guys, they've got uh, Tony at wide receiver, Daniel Jones. We know this guy can run and pass the ball. I think the Giants will hold home field and get a win here. Next week, the Raiders will be at home and maybe a look-ahead spot. That Giants coming off a week. It's hard to say that coming off off of a vibe, but the Chiefs will be at Allegiant Stadium the following week, week 10. Uh, Spence, we know these divisional games, it's going to be the Chiefs' a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Raiders cover the number, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs getting the victory, and that's going to be two straight losses coming off of the bye for the Raiders.
1: Yeah, I think the Raiders will get desecrated. I, I don't think it's going to be as close as it was last year. I think the Chiefs are, are we playing with a little bit of chip on their shoulder. They do not like the way they went out. They you know revamped their offensive line. They're looking good this season. There's no reason. I can't explain what happened last year, especially in two close games. I just it's not realistic to think the Raiders are gonna play close games getting worse from last season and now that they'll even be able to be in these games. So they're gonna to go to I guess four and five now for me at this point uh, on my according to me.
2: uh Spence, is that four and five or four and six? Uh, let's see here one, two three, four, five, six, seven, eight um. Does that sound right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, four and five, I guess sounds about right. Spence, um, they. I look for them to get back on track in week 11 at home against Cincinnati as a four and a half point favorite. I think the Raiders win, and I think they win by a touchdown against Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, certainly. They. This is a game, again, like they're... The Raiders obviously aren't with the worst team in the league, so when it comes to these kinds of matchups, especially coming off of two losses from the bye week, they'll go to 5-5, and clinging for their playoff hopes, looking on to the remainder of the season.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there, Spence, and I think they actually get a win the following week, Week 12, traveling to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. I think the Raiders get a road victory and beat Dallas.
1: Nah, I'm going to disagree with you. I think they go back on the wrong side of things here. The Cowboys are probably going to score thirty-six. I keep saying thirty-six. I don't. I don't know why, but they'll score thirty-plus points uh, somewhere in that range over the Raiders. Their offense is going to be prolific, assuming everyone's healthy. Amari Cooper is going to, you know, have a revenge game. I guess you could say against the Raiders. It wasn't necessarily a horrible breakup, but he's going to want to play well against them. The Raiders' run attack is going to be nowhere to be found. So, you know, uh, Ezekiel Elliott likely to have over 100 yards in that game. Dak Prescott's probably going to be having a really good season. Uh, I give him a loss here. There's no way they beat the Cowboys, actually. I feel pretty confident in that.
2: Uh, I disagree, Spence, and I think uh, they come back for three in a row at home against the Washington football team the next week. I think the Raiders are starting to feel themselves with three straight victories, beating the Washington football team as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they win comfortably.
1: Uh, this, This is a close one, but Ryan Fitzpatrick dogged the Raiders in their last matchup in Allegiant when he came in, so he clearly doesn't have a hard time against them. Now, actually, I think the Raiders lose this game because I think Washington has a really good chance of winning their division, and if they're going to do that, they're going to have to win games like this against a middling Raiders team, which, according to me, will be two games under five hundred. That's a must-win for them, and I think they'll get it done. The Raiders are going to start falling apart at this point in the season, and probably the end of their ten-year up with whoever they have in their front office.
2: So, Spence, I believe at this point I have the Raiders as one, two, three, four, and then the three-game winning streak gives them. Five, six, seven wins going into Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. I think it's seven wins. Uh, It stops at that point as the Chiefs get a victory at Arrowhead in week 14.
1: Yeah, nothing too much to go over here. Like I said, I think they're going to absolutely massacre and eviscerate them in both of their matchups. They will not be close like they were in prior years to last.
2: Spence, after that, they travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns. I think that's two losses in a row for the Raiders. After feeling themselves, from my opinion, winning three straight, they lose two straight, dropping in Cleveland to the Browns.
1: Yeah, the Raiders will lose their one, two, three, fourth game to me. It was close. This is the thing I hate about the NFL, by the way, because it is in Cleveland again, which I think that happened last year. I think they played in Cleveland. or These dumb win games. I hate condition games in the NFL. It is so it's just not conducive to great football. Everyone watched a high wind game, and be like, "Ooh, man, that was! I'm so glad that happened. I'm so glad we didn't have a dome there." Or even a rain game, like, "Oh wow, that quarterback went five for twenty one passing. That is sick. That was such a good game." Even snow games, I mean, aesthetically they look great, but uh, come on, the guy runs the ball twenty eight times the score is seven to three. It's going to happen again because it seems like it's later in the season, so there's going to be inclement conditions. A healthy Browns team will still be able to run the ball more effectively. Cleveland should have never lost that game last year. I have no idea why they did. So the Raiders lose their fourth game in a row, uh, looking to just just end their season not very well.
2: So, Spence, I, I, I still have the Raiders at seven wins going home to Allegiant Stadium week 16 against Denver. I think they get the win and go over the win total at home, beating Denver in division, splitting the series.
1: Yeah, uh, I... I think they're going to win both matchups against the Broncos. It's going to be one of their pity wins. Like, oh, look, we lost four in a row, but we're coming back on track now against a horrible Denver Broncos team. So I think that gives me their sixth win of the season. They're getting real close to their season total for me at seven so far, uh, according to you know my recollect or not recollection, but predictions.
2: All right, Spence. So week 17, they travel to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Uh, I think this whole team is going to be very, very good with Carson Wentz under center. And I think even though the Raiders have won some games in Indianapolis over the years, I think the Colts will get a victory here in week 17.
1: Yeah, the Raiders will have six wins to me at this point in the season. So they'll have absolutely no reason to play football. The Colts will probably be playing very meaningful football, either to win their division or go into the wild card spot. I'm not sure. Maybe even contend for the first seed in the West. Who knows? Oh, their season's going to go. Another loss for the Raiders. I don't think, I'll take whatever the, what what was the line in this one?
2: Six points, the Colts favored.
1: Yeah, they're probably going to win by like 14 plus, I would say. Especially when the Raiders have nothing to play for at that point in the season. The
2: Raiders wrap up at Allegiant Stadium, divisional matchup against the LA Chargers. And I think the Raiders go over the win total as they already have, according to my predictions. But they get their ninth win of the season and finish the season at nine and eight, beating the Chargers in week 18.
1: Yeah, the Raiders will get their seventh win of the season just to ruin their draft position, as they usually do at the end of the season. So there we go. The Raiders do not go over on their win total. I love the under here, or I guess the push in this case. Uh, but there's very they could very easily lose this game, too. The Raiders are just terrible garbage.
2: Right. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, Spence. Terrible garbage here. I mean, the, you have the Raiders at seven wins. I have them at nine. We'll see how it shapes up. With nine wins, the later Raiders will be... Uh, either on the outside looking in or right in the mix of that final playoff spot with the extended playoffs, uh, each wild card in each conference. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see the Raiders. I think they got a couple more wins than you give them there on the schedule.
1: I mean, think about it this way. How many pro bowlers do the Raiders have on their roster realistically? One, two, two maybe? Probably two. You have Darren Waller and maybe Derek Card because he on paper is so great. Other than that, I think – to have only two Pro Bowlers on your entire roster is indicative of probably how many games you'll realistically win throughout the season.
2: I think Josh Jacobs is a fringe Pro Bowler, so uh, uh, I'll give him that.
1: That's sad to have your third Pro Bowler be your running back. I mean, it's just not <laughs> its not great. I mean, how many Pro Bowl running back players have won Super Bowls in the past 10 years?
2: Uh, not a lot, but Spence, we'll see how this young draft does with Morig at the safety position. We'll see how Ndokwe fits in. Uh, with his old, I believe his old coordinator, Gus Bradley, is that right? Is he the new? He is, he is
1: the new coordinator. And if they would have had Richard uh, Sherman, I think as niche as that seems to be, I think for him to be a leader for guys like uh Trayvon Mullen and maybe even DeMon Arnett would have been enough to sway them to maybe around eight wins. But because they have absolutely no talent over there, especially at the secondary position how can they win any football games? They're not gonna they're gonna score less points per game this season because they're less talented offensively. And that marginal difference of marginally being better than last year defensively, I mean, how can you project them to have nine wins when last year they think they had seven or maybe it was eight, I don't remember.
2: Spence, we'll preview some more teams um, as we continue to to follow down getting up closer uh, to the season here with um, the NFL. And I don't know where we'll start off. We may continue to stay. In the AFC West and go through some of that, but we'll definitely uh, follow the spreads that are already out from the Westgate Superbook and then all the games of the season for each of the teams as we prepare for the offseason to get in full swing in the NFL. Basketball playoffs underway, the actual seeding games, the seven-game series will start up here over the weekend. NHL playoffs in full effect also, so... For Spencer the Wiz, follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. i Brad Restituto. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Tuesday. Have a great night, everyone.